Kia ora, I'm Andrew Whiteside, and today I'm talking with author Gina Cole. Gina lives in New Zealand, and she's an honorary fellow in writing at the University of Iowa, and she holds a PhD in creative writing from Massey University in New Zealand. In a few months, she'll be publishing a science fiction fantasy novel called Narviro. And this week, she'll be giving the annual Peter Wells Lecture as part of the Same Same But Different Literary Festival in New Zealand. Uh, Gina Cole, kia ora, nice to talk to you today. Kia ora, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Yeah, good to, good to talk. So uh, this weekend sees you giving the uh, annual Peter Wells Lecture as part of the Same Same But Different uh, Literary Festival. That's quite an honour. How, how are you feeling? Are you nervous? I am a bit nervous. It, it is an honour, um, not only because you know it's the Peter Wells lecture and it's and it's honouring the legacy of Peter Wells himself, but also the the other people that have given the lecture before me. Um, there's been Georgina Bayer and um, Cassie Hartendorp and Charmaine Poutney. So I kind of feel like. Um, uh, yeah, it is a bit nerve-wracking. Nerve <laughs> a long line of luminaries, but obviously you are considered right up there, so it's it's a nice thing nice thing to be offered. Now this year, uh, because of COVID, thank you COVID, uh, it is going to be online. So I guess that's a little bit different than if than you're bouncing off people in an audience. Yes, very much so. I, I I'll be um, presenting my PowerPoint presentation on a Zoom. Um, which means that you know my picture will be a little picture on the Zoom, and it's it, 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 it's kind of um, yeah, kind of that that distance between you and the audience is even you know quite further away because you can't see anybody, and it requires a different energy too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, we don't want to give too much away, obviously, because we want people to turn up and, and, and listen to you and watch you. But, but essentially, what are, what are the themes that you're going to be exploring? Uh, well, I'll be discussing the legacy of LGBTQI plus writing, the role it has to play in queer liberation, and who gets to write the narrative, which is quite a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how long have you got? What's your time frame? Uh, it's only about an hour, so... Um, uh, it, it's the, that topic is really a provocation, and um, so I'm I've kind of framed it in a way which I can have a bit of fun with. Um, I've framed it using uh, a kind of Pacifica cultural um, art form um, called wayfinding or celestial navigation, which is really just a framing device for me to look at queer writing in the past and the present and where we might be heading in the future. We we briefly talked about this the other day when, when I um, was setting up the interview and uh, that really resonated with me because, of course, Pacific peoples were people who travelled across the ocean and huge distances across the ocean, uh, both uh, to... Um, settle in new places but also with with trade and uh, they use the stars celestial navigation they use that they were very competent and those voyages were mapped out and 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 you're linking that to queer writers as a journey almost a, an armada a, a fleet setting out in walkers setting the path for others to join and follow yeah yeah, that's right. I'm looking at um, queer writing and queer writers as a, a queer literary fleet and uh, a fleet of waka and 
using principles of um, celestial navigation where you you know where you come from in the past and you make sure you take account of all the signs around you in the present and you kind of pull your future destination towards you. So that's the kind of framework of the lecture, I suppose, which just gives me a, a reason to talk about our past and um, queer writing in the you know the early 20th century and then coming forward to the same same but different festival now and how much much more diverse um, the representation of queer writing is now and just looking at some you know directions we might head to especially in terms of the political environment as well um, and it's quite exciting, isn't it? I, I was sent a copy of um, Out Here, which is the new anthology of, of queer writers um, edited by uh, Chris and Emma. And uh, fascinating to see nowadays the, the diversity in writing styles and what, and what constitutes writing. So there's, uh, I dare say, not cartoon, um, what's the word? Um, Graphic. Graphic, art. yes, thank you. Yeah. Graphic, graphic art. Graphic novel. Yeah, graphic yeah. novel. There's, uh, there's poetry. There's obviously prose. Uh, so this huge, there's this, this real blossoming now and this um, almost out and proud and we don't really care. We're out there and we're, we're carrying our message, uh, with, uh, particularly with young queer writers now, that's really, really cool. Yes, we've kind of... Um, I, I'm, that, that panel is on at 7 p.m. on Saturday. So after um, you, and yep. I, I, well, I'm also on that panel because one of my my stories is in that um, anthology, and and I think there's about seventy writers in that anthology. So yeah, it's prose and poetry, and like you say, graphic art, and um, it, it it has really changed since um, the past, where queer writing was dominated by cis uh, Pākehā men. It's much more diverse now, um, which is great. Um, you know, we we have progressed, um, but you know there are, there are still challenges. Uh, in, in in what way? Challenges in what way? Well, um, you know, the the Homosexual Law Reform Act in 1986 really is a landmark piece of legislation which brought LGBTQI plus rights and issues into public discourse. And that, that discussion is still ongoing and hasn't stopped. Um, but every time there is some um, kind of legislation that uh, we, we, you know, queer activists are involved in and protecting um, queer rights, like the same-sex legislation or the Civil Union Act legislation or even the um, legislation that passed this week banning conversion therapy, um, even when those kinds of discussions come up, um, there's always this, the, it always reveals the queer phobia and bigotry and hypocrisy that still exists just below the surface in New Zealand society. So that's always um, something that... Um, I don't know, there's still a need to protect us um, in a lot of these areas. I, I hear you. I, I, I was inter reflecting on the um, conversion therapy bill uh, because there were only eight votes against it in the House, which I think is the smallest uh, number of opponents to 
any of these law reform um, mm. processes. So I, I do hear you and I get it. I just think it's fascinating, though, how things ho have changed. And those people against it were uh, in Parliament, <laughs> the MPs against it, uh, kind of the, the most conservative rump. Because if you look at someone like uh, the ACT Party, for example, you'd think very right wing, but they... Mm all of them voted in favour of it. So it's it's a really interesting kind of dynamic. And I wonder actually if, if I don't want to trivialise anything, but I do wonder if New Zealand is becoming generally on social issues more liberal, far more liberal, and that the op opposition that we hear is, is actually very, very vocal, but smaller. Uh, and I'm not denying that, of course, prejudice still exists right across any, any society, but I do wonder. I, I, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, um, I mean, the, the birth, death and marriages registration um, and relationships bill passed in December unanimously, um, which was a historic kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think you're, you're right. Maybe it is. Um, becoming a bit more liberal but I'm, I mean yeah it's hard to say really because um, and yet people still I mean you know I've been talking to people this week that there are lots of queer youth who are still struggling who are still bullied but then again um, as I mentioned to someone in an interview the other day uh, 180 years of Māori and Pākehā living in this country together there is still prejudice there is still racism, so it's yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's part of human nature. Unfortunately, that it will probably never go away, but hopefully, it diminishes over time. Yeah, well, I think there needs to be fundamental change in um, a lot of ways that you know uh, isn't. Uh, we're moving towards it, um, but you know, it's it's kind of embedded in our society, so. Once though, unless those sorts of embedded um, societal frameworks, unless they change, um, there's always going to be, you're always going to be starting from a position of um, a framework that uh, is uh, colonial, basically, <laughs> a colonial framework. And has disadvantage embedded in it. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to touch on, you have a, a novel coming out in mid-June and uh, we're not going to talk about it too much now as we discussed the other day because uh, I'd like to have you back and we'll, we'll talk about the, the book then. Um, but it is uh, science fiction fantasy and you're a big fan of science fiction, you write science fiction. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit and, and uh, we talked about Pacific Futurism which is something you have... Um, you a word that you created around this. So just unpack that for me a little bit. I am a, as you said, a huge science fiction nerd, um, and uh, it's it, it's very rare that you can find Pacific writers that write well space science fiction for instance or that you see Pacifica people represented in science fiction culture whether it's film or or novels or, or um, writing. I think it's changing a little bit but it's still very difficult so I kind of took Toni Morrison's advice 
um, when she said that if there is a book that you want to read but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. Yeah, good advice. <laughs> I thought, well, I haven't read any space science fiction books where Pacific women are flying the spaceship. So I will write that book. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so that's really um, what was behind it, just wanting to see some representation of Pacifica people in in science fiction and in this case space science fiction um, because I couldn't find any with us in it and and I mean we are we are celestial navigators so you know it felt like uh, it felt right for me to 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 marry those two things up our celestial navigation traditions in the sea with navigating in space in the same way. Um, so, and and uh, putting Pacifica women in, in, into the, as, as main characters rather than side characters. Yeah, making, um, making the tea or the, the, the you know. Yeah. I, whatever they do, or answering the space phone, I think I remember seeing Yeah, that. answering the space phone and yeah. doing the space typing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it sounds really exciting. As I say, I'd love to love to have you back when the, when the book's being published. It's around June, yeah. isn't it? Mid, midwinter? Yeah, June, July. Absolutely, I'd love to. That was Gina Cole talking about the lecture she'll be giving at the same, same, but different literary festival. Uh, that's 5 to 6 p.m. New Zealand summertime on the 19th of February 2022. There's a link below for that. Now, on my website, andrewwhiteside.com, you can find plenty more great content. You can also sign up for my regular newsletters, which are full of goodness, I promise you. I am Andrew Whiteside. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you soon.